And we're back. Hello. Yes, it's start of episode something. Yes. yes. Uh, if we sound a little uh, shell shocked, all all will be revealed in the, the opening part. <laughs> Introductions out of the way. I'm Andy. I'm Ralph. And so we're going to get round to some some visual content first. It's one of these we've had waiting for. That's true. That's true. Months actually. Yes. So on this podcast, which is called Start Helping the Small Chats, as a, a new listener listening, is, is obviously to look at the most important and exciting things in life, like DVDs that are sent to you in the post, for instance, or by, by books. By people that are alleged to be your friend. I say alleged because, well. Well, yes, one of them has been teased on this uh, fabulous podcast before. Eager listeners may recall yeah. and must become an exciting story arc. A subplot, if a sub- you will. A subplot, if you will. Someone sent us a, a DVD and challenged us to watch it. I then promptly lost the DVD, genuinely, and then found it again. So, never one to shy away from a challenge. We have watched Neil Sean and Shiraz Ali present The Lost Interviews. Prepare to experience Doctor Who as it has never been seen before. Wow, that sounds like a, a thrilling ride into the unknown. So the back cover blurb. Mm-hmm. Celebrity gossip guru Neil Sean meets and greets the stars of Doctor Who, including extensive and revealing interviews with Doctor Who himself, David Tennant, dating it so you can get an idea what it is, okay. Torchwood very own, not Torchwoods, I just say Torchwood very own, okay. uh, Captain Jack. Excellent, we like John Barrowman, he's John, always good. Yeah, yes. John Barrowman and the reinventor of Doctor Who, Russell T. Davis. Davis, <laughs> uh, not Davies, Davis, <laughs> and many more. Many more, as indeed a Prepare to experience Doctor Who has never been seen before. What's the running time again? Was uh, well, it was 40 minutes approximately. Now, obviously, uh, we, we approached this with wild aplomb because... And with a little bit of a false bravado, as it would turn It's true, because uh, on the previous edition, they were challenged by another... Fabulous listener to sit through a, a Twilight DVD, not an actual proper Twilight DVD, but interviews with the stars of Twilight. Now, while rubbish, it had two great advantages: one, it was extremely short, and B, it did actually feature interviews. Also, it had an aspect ratio properly worked out. Yes. So what we get from this is these aren't actually interviews so much as offcuts and B-roll footage from press junkets and basically uh, red carpet uh, ambush jobs <laughs> and to be fair the longest one is he, do, he does appear to have genuinely had a proper sit down with John Barrowman that's true but I think John Barrowman being John Manners I could probably get a sit down interview with John Barrowman if I asked him nicely enough he uh, seems that kind of, kind of I guy. think a passing dog could get an interview with John Barrowman this so, is not to denigrate the Barrowman no, 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 but he's a genuinely enthusiastic person seems to love all humanity those rare, rare people. Um, so, well, okay. So when you first put the DVD in, it makes really weird noises at your computer drive, as in it sounds a bit like the TARDIS, or your computer's about to explode. 
this was the first sign this might not be good and then we put, took the DVD out, put it back in, and it started to play. What we should have done at that point is go, hang on a second, I don't we, want to make my computer, maybe we should just not play this again. Use it as a frisbee, yeah. perhaps uh, as a plate, yeah. you know, for having a nice sandwich make on a, it. Make a novelty artisan clock out of it. You could use it as a hat for a chicken. Yes. Well, any number of things would be preferable to watching this, because there's not actually any genuine interviews. There are also... Uh, Doctor Who fast facts which come up on screen <laughs> uh, now there was four fast facts although one of them was the same fact twice same however none of them were actually genuinely either at the same time fast or actually facts but what we should say is presentations brought to you brought to you by Windows Movie Maker Sucker 1995 oh yeah uh, um, the, the title card which appears repeatedly in case you've suddenly blacked out which you might do actually or we need to and, pad the running and, time and out. forgotten what you're watching as, as it comes up and you get like this kind of grainy rubbishy sort of picture of London with well the smoke damage and then what appears to be a torch well, shone no, across get, like, it there's a spaceship goes across first there's a spaceship go- how could you forget the most exciting feature because the most exciting feature is somebody's got a torch off the side of it and shone it on it to make it look like like a spotlight spotlight or something yeah so that comes up Um, at one point he goes here's an exclusive but never seen before on DVD and it's clearly the bit after they finish John Barrowman when the camera's just left running and it's actually members of the production staff yeah. that are get, getting pictures with John Barrow yeah. at one of yeah. the uh, he was was he a judge for what I think was the Joseph thing yeah uh, yeah. and basically it's just general chit chat it's not meant for broadcast it's not actually not John Barrowman is perfectly nice even when he's having a dig at someone for not being the most uh, camera friendly for doing PR stuff but, he's still lovely with yeah, it but he's, he's saying it's just media training it's yeah. giving people good media yeah. training so you know how to to deal with things there's there are, there are moments when the presenter we use the term presenter loosely. He's loosely. A I'm sure celebrity he's, gossip guru, guru stroke festering sore. I'm sure he's a lovely human being. No, he's a festering sore. I'm sure festering sore. No, no. I'm Just doing all I can to keep the clean tag here right now because it's taking every I, anyone I'm who's met me in person. Reason. Anyone who's met me in person knows how quickly I drop into swearing. Uh, it's taking there is no every sp- fabric of willpower not to go a mental. A particularly here. good point, right, as he says, this exclusive interview coming with Freema Ashiman, who was Martha Jones in Doctor Who, and he kind of padded it out a wee bit. He's like, here he goes, and he says, well, guess what happened to me? I was in Marks and Spencer's or somewhere, some kind of shop, and I was coming out of the shop, and there was Freema. And, and then the alarm went off because the tag hadn't went off on her clothing. And I was like, oh, ho, 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 Freema, your thing's not come off. And he's pretending that he's there, and you think, okay, we're now about to get a hilarious anecdote from Freema, his best mate. And then he just kind of goes, nah, um, she should have got a nicer blouse. And she doesn't actually appear. It's not about when he goes on about, uh, oh, my great friend, so and so, blah, 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 my favourite. I'm leading up to this. And it's like a picture of Bonnie Langford comes on screen for a very long time. An unnervingly long period of time. Goes away. There's an extra space. There's, oh, sorry. There are so many gems in this, actually, the more you think about it. Remember Peter Andre? Pondry, if you will. He's still on the go, and at one point was married to Katie Price, aka Jordan. If you're of a certain age, you'll know who that is. Anyone else? 
Google, uh, make sure it's not work because her previous career before she became uh, an annoying media presenter was uh, well, not safe for work. She had an eye for the camera. So, almost mentioned someone there, but I won't. Anyway, so there is. Um, so, so he does this kind of anecdote about, oh, oh, Peter Andre uh, really wants to be in Doctor Who and, and somebody else wants to be in Doctor Who and, and maybe she wants to be like Doctor Who or something. And it's just some kind of B-roll footage of them at some event somewhere, going in somewhere, having a chat. And that's it. Nothing to do with Doctor Who. No, sorry, well, wrong here. Other gems are, there's a chap in it who um, was in a version of Joseph the Technicolor Dreamcoat. The one from the show that right. the okay. Battle Man was Yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, yo. And it, it chats him up and it shows you bits of his videos and stuff like that. Nothing to do with Doctor Who. He doesn't even get interviewed himself. Ball bags. See? Can wind, can wind your neck back no, in stop no, no, not, not the Joseph man himself yeah I know but a wicked that, clean tag that is a clean tag that in Scotland that's a normal word children use it uh, uh, however I'm, everyone else so let's as you can tell see how difficult it is to not swear profusely how bad this is uh, to former friend of the podcast Philip Ayers we will be avenged speaking of Philip Ayers because there's a cavalcade of woe now, my part in this is mostly over, thankfully, except as courier stroke, deliverer of pain. What? Uh, we have parcels for you. Oh, is this another uh, reader's wives, wives, uh, reader's yeah. wives, but not wives, lives. Yeah. They sound so similar. I do apologize. I hope no one's sent their wife here because that's a very small box. Yeah. So, we have a couple of parcels. Oh, do we? Okay, so wait. Now, I don't have any. This is exciting radio because I'm going to open this with my hands. When you some scissors? He's going to get scissors. Phil, Phil, no, Phil, not Phil the person. Now I can't remember if this is there's anything good in here or not. I've got the scissors. He has the scissors. I've closed the door. Now we should explain why we're opening packages. You should talk about what true. Remind the listeners what true friending is. Why so, I turn into this. So the art of true friending is finding a gift that you know will cause the person who's receiving it no end of pain but why specifically will it cause some pain is it just a random thing in the it's shop it's something that we know that they, they don't like that just gets under their skin that relates to, that relates to an overall but, subject that they do like yeah so it's always got, it's not going to be something daft again, that they'll never sort of yeah. encounter so it's things like getting Ralph yeah numb because he likes Star Wars. I like Star Wars, but Nian Yum is the worst character to so, ever appear in Star Wars. Over the history of the previous Star Dub podcast, Ralph was the recipient of many a fine Nian Yum mer- item of merchandise. But good came out of that because he went to Oxfam. Ralph is weird because he is now a continuing character. More merchandise is on the way. So this yeah, is like a, back to the new films, the it's like a, a sword of Damocles that hangs over his head at any yeah. point. I'm feeling quite confident because the thing that I think this might be, this box is too large for it. So I think it's not going to be about it. No, Phil I'm not going to say what I think it is because then if it's not that, Phil will know and I'll get sent in and ask. That's just too predictable. So we're opening up. I can see inside there's something called Star Wars. So it's looking promising. Ah, I think this is the good box. Now the thing about true friending you have to bear in mind is that the true tether, the true tether, is that sometimes the gifts are genuinely good. So yes. you get yourself all worked up thinking it's going to be something awful and it turns out to be bad which actually is worse because then you know the chances of the bad thing being next time are inexp- are just higher they're higher now, so first of all we have um, we have a bag which says 29th of November and let's see what this used to be hang on, hang on. some packaging of some kind 
so previously, Phil had some white potatoes from Morrison's. Excellent, that's good to know. Uh, he also purchased, uh, what else do they have here? Uh, this is very some exciting. More potatoes. Uh, I think I find a British baby Maris potatoes. And last but not least, he also bought some garlic and herb baguettes. However, they are reduced fat. That's, that's not very good. Okay, so let's see. First of all, we have a Star Wars Imperial Trooper Battle Pack, which uh, he had said he had a spare one off, so that, that's very good. I'm very pleased. Well done, Phil. Okay. Oh, very good. We've got um, the proper headmaster for uh, Fortress Maximus, the Transformer, which comes with a free bumblebee, bumblebee yeah. which is uh, absolutely splendid. So that's... Uh, that's very good, actually. That's very uh, good. Okay, that's really good. Oh, ho, ho! Ho, ho! It's Japanese. No, the Transformer! This is a this is a genuine bit of joy. Because, at the time of recording, in Britain... We keep getting told by various friends on social media that in B&M's there are large fat, large amounts of gnaws reduced because we've I've got four. I have the I, Japanese one I, already. I, and um, three I have seven gnaws. And I plan to get this Japanese one at some point because it's a different colour. And he leads the nod. So that can go in the robot mode. The only one that's allowed to go in robot mode. And he can lead. And now he's got troops of seven. However, there's meant to be Mount loads of them in B&M's, um, which uh, are incredibly cheap. Now, the rule is, the rule is, whenever you're buying uh, toys, which are also for children, when you see them in a the shop, even though you're desperate for them, if there's more than one, you take as many as you like, but you always leave one behind. The only exception to that is if there is only one on the shelf, in which case it is fair game. Or alternatively, if say there's three on the shelf and you're buying one or two for yourself and you know someone you have, you know someone who wants the other one. Otherwise you leave one behind for the kiddies, right? So today I went beyond the Great Barrier of Edinburgh looking for somewhere to do with something else. And I found a being I've never been in before and I went there with any noise. None Did I'll just do that one again. None Okay. Uh, in, in the spirit of chewing the fat, just going to gnaw. I'm That's gnaw. a deep cut for our Scottish listeners there. I think I find I can gnaw on his bone for a bit longer. So after I left that B&M, I went to a part of, of, of the city, which is a bit like the demilitarised zone. Now, I don't go there very often, but the bus happened to go there. This took an hour, an hour across, literally from beyond the edge of the city, where the sign says, welcome to, rah, to all the way to the other end on, on this bus, which was full of very angry people who smelled a lot. Because I don't know why. I'm on the buses quite a lot. Lovely people on the buses. Very, really appalled. Anyway, and I get these messages saying, people have found Nas. They're really cheap. Find the Nas. And I can hear my head as I need the Nas. Seven isn't enough. I'm a grown adult. I need at least a dozen of these toys. So I can put them on a desk and go, Actually, we should describe. Did it sound like a sign on your head? Need Nas, need Nas, need Nas. I think I win there. That sound, ladies and gentlemen, is the mic drop. Gone, you know. Um, so, yes, I so, know yeah, I know you did that already, but that's not the point. So, if you don't know what Noah looks like, it's like a little fat shark with googly eyes. And Transformers, little, the movie, it's the little shark. Little hands, very, very cute looking, right? Um, hmm, yes, okay. So, I finally got there, and I got off the bus, the pavement was gone. The pavement was gone because people had ripped it up and thrown it away. And as I'm walking around, the, the ground is covered in poop. Uh, hopefully from dogs. I was about, I was about <laughs> to ask. 
there was a there was glass everywhere. I thought, well, I deserve all these dolls when I get there. I blooming well deserve them all. Then I found I went past the phone box at one point where somebody had attacked the phone box so violently that they'd actually ripped out the phone from within very cleanly and taken it away. Well, did said phone box have cards for text lines and ladies of the night? You're obviously going to bleep one of those lines out to keep the clean tag, but it didn't have the bleep cards for any bleeps of the bleep night. See, I've done that for you. No, no. I still have that as well. Oh, I don't know. That's not sweet. Yes, so I finally got there. I like this yeah. phone box in the Tower of London. Yes, and then, to, <laughs> and then to get to this bee name, you literally cross a bridge, an actual bridge, like in, like in the River Kwai, but without people being forced to build it, obviously. And there's beer bottles everywhere and glass of flesh, and I got there and I thought, fantastic, they'll have noise. They had none. So that's actually very good. Phil has actually done a good thing there by giving me a Japanese knot. So even though I'm incandescent with rage with for making us watch that D W D I can't even say the word. Right, what's this? Is this another one from Phil? Okay. Now, the good news is I'm actually quite pleased by the shape of this package. I want to keep the clean tag. Please. For the benefit of people at home so they don't think I've just handed something sausage shaped wrapped in a bowl, describe to them the dimensions of the, the, the box that it's long. meal to you. It's very long and it's brown. <laughs> Okay, what I thought it was going to be was a was a more of a long sort of shape. Cause that would that that's what I thought he'd send me. So this is quite good. I suspect this is a book of some kind because it's book shaped. Uh, I already know what it is because I. Was I hope it's not something like the Epic Defenders or some nonsense like that. Because I'd be very very angry if it was that. Because the Defenders is rubbish. The one is the worst team book the Marvel ever made. The best one, of course, is the Champions. Because you've got Ghost Rider, you've got Hercules, you've got Iceman, you've got Black, Black, Black Widow, and you've got them getting beaten up by the base because they're that bad. You've got Goliath in it. It's it's all it's all good. It's all good. so here we go. Right. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Right. Okay. I've just ripped away a second. So I can see part of the time. Now, now remember, you said just previously, the worst team book. Marvel has ever published. Would Sir care to revise said statement? I can see part of the title and it says Avengers. I can't see the rest. I suspect this is Avengers The Crossing. Okay. Because that is the worst. Is it? It is. Are you sure? Absolutely. Are you absolutely sure? Yes, and Phil knows that The Crossing is awful. Yes, yeah. he, he knows, but... Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Again, would Sir like to revise his previous statement? Oh no. <laughs> There's no need for this. <laughs> I don't need to want a copy of this. Oh, goody gumboils. It's Avengers and Iron Man Force Works. <laughs> right. Before they reinvented the Guardians of the Galaxy, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning transformed the Avengers West Coast. Fueled by the Scarlet Witch's uncanny hex powers, the newly forged Force Works is going proactive. But who's in charge? Wanda or Iron Man? As tragedy strikes, one Avenger won't live to work with this forceful new group for long. If the squad needed of a new powerhouse, would an enigmatic century fit the bill? In light of deadly threats including the invading Kree, alien scavengers and the cyborg 
Black Brigade, he'd better. Well, Force works meet defeat at the hands of the Mandarin and his avatars, or live to see a reunion with the Avengers. Collecting Force Works 1 to 15, Force Works Asgard Edition, Century, Distant Sons, and material from Iron Man slash Force Works Collectors Preview. It's awful. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's 90s comics and it's absolute typical rubbishness. Oh, look what I could have won in the collector edition thread. It could have been Earth's Mightiest Heroes, i.e., the original uh, Lee and Kirby and Don Heck stuff, which, while not the best, has a certain charm to it. Where else could it be a one? Oh, we could have hold one Behold Division. Pretty good. We could have got the final threat. Not the best, but it's got some cosmic gem in it. Or we could have had Judgment Day. Judgment Day's good. Where else could we have one? According to the inside back cover. We could also have one. Iron Man, the Golden Avenger, i.e. the original Lee and Heck stuff. Again, not the best, but has a certain charm. Could have had the enemy within, with some O'Neill and McDonald goodness. Could have had Stark Wars, which is good. War games, which is not. So actually, we did dodge a bullet there. Oh, oh goody, look at all the 90s goodness. Like, this is like, how many pages long is this nonsense? This is, oh, this is over 400 pages. How the rubbing hell did he only pay £4.61 for this? <laughs> And it is indeed in very good condition. There's just there's a little bit of wear to the cover, a bit of folding, but nothing that put under the under the brick uh, wouldn't solve. And to be honest, a brick is what this is, both in shape and what it does to the mind. I mean, we have actually we we might have bought Force Box issue one a few times from coming marks over the years because it's got a fold out. It has a fold out pop up cover. A very good pop up cover, and in fact, it, it's it's a very joyous cover. But obviously, because this is in trade format, look, look, I'm touching it. Look, it's just normal. It's normal. This is nonsense. When did this, when did this come out? Hang on, when did this trade come out? Uh, 2016, so it's not that old, yeah. Yeah, £4.61. Wow. Uh, yeah, other, yeah exactly. other than some kind of bend in the cover, to the front, you'd think this was brand new, to be honest. And in fact, to be honest, in comic shops, I see them trying to sell trades like this for 30 quid in worse condition than this. So, um, thanks, Phil, for... Okay, so what we'll do is, I, because I'm a better man than you, will actually sit and read through all of this on my week off, which I have upcoming. And on a future podcast, I'll come back and I'll review it for you. All right? Okay? Oh, however... I mean, look at this. Look, it's got... It's got you know, with the Avengers, payback for the death of Wonder Man. Wonder Man's a character who should always be dead in Avengers. He's a useless guy with a big W in his front. He's rubbish. He's the worst character in anything. That's in, uh, it's, it's, right. So moving on to the next item. What is the next item? You, you, you not want to luxuriate in your, in your I, fine, your fine. As I said, I, I will. Unlike when Phil gets sent things through friending, I will actually properly read all of that every single page. And I will report on it in the future podcast to see if it matches with my memories of Force Works. The only thing that's worse was um, the nineties Fantastic Four uh, spin-off. Fantastic uh, Force. Fantastic Force, but I don't believe that's been collected in trade. So, but okay, I am sure that's not been collected because we checked before yeah. when that came out. So that's not been out in no. trade. And no, don't look at eBay for issues because I've owned them multiple times and won't own them again. But I just don't need a trade of it. So I like the Fantastic Four. My weakness for the Fantastic Four. You might rubbish. So I think I think you should move on to the next. What's the next uh, next thing? We'll go back to uh, the visual the visual well. Well, the, the pain is uh, relatively fresh in our memories. Hope you enjoy those potatoes. We discovered this. Well, I discovered this. Um, 
I am a fan of the film critic, the film critic Mark Kermode, who does stuff for the BFI, he does stuff for the BBC, he does the uh, podcast um, with um, Simon Mayer. Simon Mayer, thank you very much, uh, which I'm an avid listening to. And I like Kermode as a critic because, <coughs> excuse me, um, what I look for in a critic is not someone who likes exactly the same things as me or uh, that I have to like what they like. I like someone who's interesting and expresses your views and also is entertaining in whichever medium they tend to do. Now, it's fair to say quite often I actually quite disagree with a lot of his views of films, but again, I find him a very engaging fellow. So he does stuff for the BFI, and I was looking at the BFI uh, Book of Face page a while ago, and he does a wee feature where it's like a film of the week, where he kind of puts a wee spotlight on something you might not have heard of that happens to be on, uh, they've got a streaming online service called the BFI Player, which I don't use myself. But anyway, I saw that, and he said, did a wee thing about the show, did a little clip, did a talk about it, and I thought, that sounds interesting. Uh, I wonder if there's a DVD available of it, and lo and behold, there was the fiver, so I ordered that and it came. And um, and I thought it's really surprising I've not heard of this because it appears to be some kind of like horror supernatural tinged film from the 70s. And it's got John Hurt, the war doctor from Doctor Who, Susanna York, who was Superman's mum, and Alan Bates. It's got wrestled Oliver Reed naked in the, the Lovers. So uh, I, I said to the other, and, and of course. Uh, young Tim Curry Young Tim Curry And right. We'll save the best We'll, we'll get on to that We'll get on to that um, And I said to Mr Turbot Now it's fair to say That your knowledge of British horror films Far Far surpasses my own Yes It's the kind of We saw the trailer It looked Looked a bit bonkers The usual sort of Slightly navel gazing Pretentiousness of 70s horror When it tried to be Arty as well But The thrust was Alan Bates has got a shout That can kill yeah. like, Bad things happen There's a bit of jeopardy Yeah And it's like this looks bonkers. But okay. also, why have we never heard of this film, considering who's in it and kind of what the genre it's in? Yeah. So, the DVD arrived, and if you go by the back cover blurb, it sounds really good. Yeah, so, what you get is, the big tagline is, a film of intense perversity, the madness of the mind. Ooh. It's a gorgeous summer's day, and two teams play a cricket game with a difference. It's the annual match between the local mental asylum and the villagers. <laughs> See, it sounds like a winner. There's more, but at this point you're just like, winner, winner. Mm. Uh, so and in the scoring hut, patients Crossley and Graves sit side by side, recording every run over and fallen wicket to keep themselves entertained. Because cricket's not very good. Cricket is rounders, rounders, but wrong. Actually, I, I joke. I, I like winding Philippus. I, I enjoy playing cricket. I don't find it inter- interesting at all to sit and watch. But anyway, rounders so is better. Crossley recounts a terrifying story of how he came to possess supernatural powers that enable him to kill with a shout. It was, he claims, an ancient magic he learned from spending many years with the Australian Aborigines. Although Graves dismisses the tale as an insane fantasy, as the match continues, the proceedings take on an emphatically sinister turn, starring Oscar-nominated actor Alan Bates, Gosford Park, as the deranged Crossley. The shout features strong performances from both Susanna York, who meet again, Superman, Superman 2, and John Hurt, the naked civil servant, Doctor Who. The narrative style employed by Pam Dorn-nominated director Jerry Skolomowski of Deep End lends depth and dimension to a film. Deep End, that's the one with... Jane Asher in the swimming pool. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Don't get you, Skolowski. <laughs> Two cack films. Lends depth and dimension to a film that is deeply engaging as well as terrifying, winning him the jury's prize at Cannes in 1978. This film has been justly compared to Nicholas Rogue's 70s classic Don't Look Now. With an enigmatic opening sequence, fragments and flashbacks, this release will appeal to not only to fans of the horror genre, but audiences who enjoy intelligent, unusual mysteries. So, uh, other things going for it was it was from a study by uh, uh, Robert Graves. Of I Clapped, the same. Indeed. Here's the thing. 
It's running time is 82 minutes approximately. Which is shorter than Transformers the movie. It feels about twice as long. It opens with about 30 seconds before the final scene. Yes. Then it cuts back. Mm-hmm. So it's doing the framing structure and it's sort of jumping backwards and forwards. In a loosely linear narrative, yeah, l- yeah. linear frame, it just picks a time to go back to where the uh, character played by John Hurt, who's a musician in the yeah. style of the radiophonic workshop. Very much it's so. All, it's all synthesizers and sound effects and blowing into tubes and various other stuff. Yeah. Uh, lives in this village, does that. That must obviously be his, his main job. He's also the organist in the church mm-hmm. and he also cheats his wife. Yep. Because it gets heavily hinted at. And he also looks quite ill permanently in the way that John Hart always looked permanently ill. Yeah. And so he meets stranger Alan Alan Bates just outside church. It ends up taking him home. As you do. Uh, Alan Bates then reveals his time in Australia and how he killed his children. That's right. Yeah, he's just having lunch and he goes, "I, I killed my children. Does this disturb you? Not in that kind of voice, but I think he should have had that kind of voice. And not a million miles away. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and, and instead of saying, leave my house now, you creepy, creepy man, uh, especially as the tale about killing his wife distresses Susanna York so much that uh, she runs out the room and goes away. He, and, he gets and, a migraine, but they let him stay. They let him stay, and uh, he's like slowly takes over their lives and, and, and tries to get in on the wife, which he does. And he has a shout. He has a shit. Yeah, he says, uh, when, I, when I went to Australia, I learned all about the death magic and things like that. And for 18 years, I learned to perfect the art of the death shout. I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. And John Hart's like, oh, uh, okay. He's a musician. I want, musician. I want to hear this. So he's like, you must come out with me to the sand Jones and bring some beeswax for your ears or you will die and your wife will die and everyone around you will die. Now, at this point, the film has been quite turgid. And I have to say a bit dull, and they kept trying to retreat to the safety of the internet, because I had to keep telling him off. Don't do the millennial thing. Don't do that cliche. Keep your, keep your mind focused on one thing. I was checking train you times. You can do it. <sighs> train times. Anyway, um, trains go faster than this film. There you go. So they go into the dunes, uh, and Alan is like, right, are you ready? I'm going to do the shout. And he does the shout, which is all kind of radiophonic. It's not like, it's like, and John Hart falls off the side of the sand dune, Along with some sheep, which were not there a few seconds before. Difference being is though, they're dead. He's not. Indeed, but he's not well. No, he's not. Even though he had the uh, the stuff in, and Alan Bates um, gets on with Susanna York quite a bit with some like really arty farty framing shots and the way you used to do it, just define your duty. Yeah, yeah. And but so we keep cutting back to the cricket match because this is being recounted by Alan Bates to, to, Tim to young Tim Curry. Yeah. By this point, we're we're spotting sort of we're looking for character actors in, in this because it's what you have to do in British films. So we found Chap Stevens who played Sherlock Holmes in the Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. Did very enjoyable Sherlock Holmes film with uh, Christopher Lee as Moriarty. Yep. Not Moriarty, sorry, Mycroft. Ah, but to say yes. With with his true hairline mm-hmm. at the time. Ah. And you've got randoms that didn't really recognise m- many other people, but. And we're going to retreat to the liner notes for this. Oh yes, now there, um, there's a Kim Newman, who Andy's quite a fan of. Who, uh, very good author. Very good author, and also a sort of historian of horror genre and so on like that. Um, he's on the commentary, which I've not listened to yet. And also has written a booklet. And in the booklet, uh, in the early pages, he goes online and he finds quotes from an expert to sort of back up what he's talking about. And it's on the left-hand side page. I've found it. So it's basically off. going through things, so it goes uh, again... Mentioned sort of cameos from Robert Stevens, that's it, Robert can mind his first name, uh, Tim Curry playing Robert Graves, and 
In an early, early, surprisingly revealing performance, future character, actor and Hollywood mainstay, Jim Broadbent. Yeah. Now, why is it revealing? Because we mentioned, <laughs> as the back, club, back cover blurb said, it's a mental asylum. So, charitably, in a film made in 1978, you can imagine how they portray the mentally ill. It is not flattering, it is not dignified, it is very much juvenile and played for laughs. It's not nuanced. No. But the reason is it because it gets to the near the end of the film. Yeah. And Crossley is going to use the shout to kill John Hurt. Yeah. Because well, why not? Yeah. It passes the time. And as he unleashes his shout, mm-hmm. uh, there's a bit of a kerfuffle as people try to stop him. A lightning go strikes the the mobile hut that the yeah. cricket scorekeepers are in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, also knows before the lightning actually, before the lightning, yeah. so he starts doing the shout, and the basically torrential rain yeah, starts yeah. to happen. So all and the mental asylum people start to go crazy, uh, and none more so than Jim Broadbent. That's right, Jim Broadbent, who gets his kit off and starts rubbing mud all over himself, screaming like a lunatic. The thing is, it's it's probably the the moment of the film that is most life full of life. That's true. It's such a dull, ponderous film. I was hoping it was going to be like something really crazy, one of those weird films that, that you think, why have I never heard of this before? Because, well, even just the fact it's got John Hurt in it, you think, well, he was quite well known when he was alive, and yes, he was a jobbing actor and pretty much did everything that was offered to him, but he was in enough famous stuff, you would think, if he was in a kind of like, well-regarded, sort of spooky 70s horror film, why wouldn't that have not heard of it? Yeah. So it's a bit of a disappointment, <coughs> can't lie. Um, I was hoping to come on and go. This is this is uh, an amazing film. Go seek it out. Buy yeah. it out. So instead, what I would do is I would go on YouTube and I'll type in, look for a trailer. Dish out. Watch the trailer. It's very entertaining. Stop there. Yeah, yeah. Just, just stop. Don't don't actually go. I think I'll find a DVD of this, or I'll go in the BFI player, or I'll go and <coughs> find a Yankee copy online. Don't bother. DVD's nicely presented. It's had a bit of work done on it. And it's got a commentary. Network stuff usually is. Network stuff fair. usually is. So, um, so from, you, we, yeah. we can't recommend that. We can't, sadly. Moving from that gem to another gem, which is their favourite feature. That's right. What's the name of the feature? And it's, it's Ralph Reed Star Trek. Ralph Reed Star Trek. Now, before we go in, uh, a correction and also some news. Uh, first of all, the correction. On a previous episode, I speculated that Titan Books had taken over publication of Star Trek novels in the UK and about how this was a turn-up for, for the books, no pun intended, because they used to uh, reprint all the pocketbook ones in the UK anyway. Uh, but it turns out that all they have the licence for are the three Star Trek Prometheus books, which, as we knew, were by German authors, yeah. and these are English translations of it. You wouldn't know this from actual book because it doesn't tell it's an English translation or who translated it or if the authors translated it. So they're just publishing those three. So there we go. That was an exciting update. The, so, the, the second exciting update is, uh, and I'm going by uh, the website trekcore.com, um, which I think is valid enough because when they were talking about it, they were linking to uh, their bulletin board, in which several of the mainstay startup author writers do post. So it's people who actually know what they're talking about, such as David Mack. And, like, I think I might already know this news, but yeah, yeah, and so on. So, and um, Craig Cox and stuff like that. So it's people who actually work on the books that are actually talking about it. And what's basically happened is that the division of Simon & Schuster, which publishes Star Trek novels, uh, the imprint part of it called Gallery, has had a change of management. 
So basically slowing down sort of everything that's happening there as a new person or people come in and get used to it. Simultaneously, the license for Star Trek books was due for renewal and took longer than usual to get sorted. And the, down, the upside of that is that basically there's going to be a gap before we get new Star Trek books. Because uh, in 2018, we're only going to get the three books that were part of the old contract that were already done and dusted and, and could be published and the uh, translations of the German books. So we might only get five novels in 2018 until it's all sorted out and then you can kick off again. So that's okay. I hadn't previously spoken about this novel anyway, but it does give us a good chance to go to the back catalogue and pick up all those wee gems that we, we haven't you know, maybe read before. So we've got some of those coming up that I'm working my way through as well for you, faithful listeners. So even though there's not a new Star Trek novel every month this year, there will still be a different Star Trek novel every episode to talk about. Yay. Yay. <laughs> right, so um, what we have here today, which I don't think we mentioned before, I'm sure we haven't done this one. This doesn't ring a bell to you, does it? Because if we've done this before, it would be very embarrassing. And I'll seem to have the memory of a goldfish. But I don't think we have. No, it's just, despite it having quite the generic back cover blurb, if I'm being brutally honest, it does not ring a bell. Okay, let's read the back cover blurb. This is Star Trek The Next Generation Headlong Flight by New York Times bestselling author... Dayton Ward, uh, which was published uh, recently, uh, February 2017, so it's a year old. So, historians note, this story takes place in mid-2386, seven years after the USS Enterprise-E's confrontation with the Romulan crater Shinzon in Star Trek Nemesis, and approximately two months after the events involving the Federation, the Klingon Empire and the renegade Klingon cult known as the Unsung, Star Trek Next Generation Prey, which we'll talk about at some point, because that's an interesting trilogy to go on about. There's a lot to talk about there. Don't look at me like that. It's actually quite enjoyable. So, uh, so let's look at the verb. Surveying a nebula as part of their continuing exploration of the previously uncharted Odyssean Pass. See what they did there. Captain Jean-Luc Picard and the crew of the Starship Enterprise encounter a rogue planet. Life signs are detected on the barren world surface and then a garbled message is received, a partial warning to stay away at all costs. Determined to render assistance, Picard dispatches Commander Worf and the away team to investigate, but our shuttlecraft is forced to make an emergency landing on the surface, moments before all contact is lost and the planet completely disappears. Worf and his team learn that this mysterious world is locked into an unending succession of random jumps between dimensions. The result of an ambitious experiment gone awry. The Enterprise crew members and the alien scientists who created the technology behind this astounding feat find themselves trapped, powerless to break the cycle. Meanwhile, as the planet continues to fade in and out of their planes of existence, other parties have now taken notice. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> so... Even you sound less than enthusiastic. No, no, no this was a good one. This was fine. So, as, as we all know... So, so this is... Right, so we've got... Riker's not on the ship now. He's got... Is this when he's got... He, he, he's Admiral Riker at this point. I told you about Admiral Riker, didn't I? No. Right. Well, there was a previous... Uh, right. Do you remember when the, the head of the Federation got assassinated on Deep Space Nine? Not the old Deep Space Nine, the new Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, well, anyways, part of that, the, the, the chap who's in charge of Starfleet. Do you remember the baby from the, the original series episode, Freddy's Child? Uh, yes. Yeah, well, that baby grows up to become the head of Starfleet 100 years later, okay? So he's quite a wily chap, and he's like, well, there's, there's secret forces going on in, in the Federation, there's conspiracies and so on, so what I'll do is I'll promote Riker to Admiral, but I won't tell him why. 
right? Because we need he'll he'll like be like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? And he'll work out what's what's happening. So he becomes Admiral Riker. And after the crisis is over, he does such a good job he gets to stay stay being Admiral. So he's off doing that just now. So how does he end up becoming captain again? Or no, no, he doesn't 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 become captain again. What are you talking about? He was captain of the Titan, right? Right, right. And then he became admiral of of that sort of but sector. But this, this seems it's not really that far after Nemesis. Well, this is seven years after Nemesis. All oh, right, seven years is fine. Uh, yeah, okay. it's okay. Right. Right. Remember, we've had the whole Borg war and yeah, all that kind of business. Right. Right. So, yes, he's now and Captain Pic- Picard. It's is, still captain because he's mental. Well, remember after the Borg war when he went mad again? Yeah. Well, he got better, so he's back in charge of Enterprise E. He's fine now, and. Uh, after the whole crisis with the Federation ambassador had been assassinated, um, Starfleet says, let's go and explore again. So the Enterprise E, in the past few books, has been moving through the Dissian Path, which is an area of space I've not been to before. Right, okay. Yeah, so, um, yes. Worf's first officer then? Worf's, Worf's the first officer of the Enterprise E. Yep, that's right, correct. And his son, who's not in this one, is currently the Klingon ambassador, sorry, the, the Federation ambassador to the Klingon Empire. Okay, so he does what he basically does the job his dad used to do at the end of Deep Space Nine. At the end of Deep Space Nine, before he gave up and came back to being Starfleet again. Okay, quite clear, isn't it? Oh. Okay, so the reason why this is worth picking up on is um, we like alternate timelines in Star Trek. It's a mainstay; it happens all the time. And of course, um, we well, how do we hint at this? Because we know um, there was different enterprises in different places in that fabulous season seven episode where Worf was jumping around parallels. Very good. And uh, I remember you saw the one where like bearded Riker came on the screen and was like, the Borg are everywhere! Ah, don't send us back! So it's kind of like that, right? So what we could do is, we could, so it's, like, it's a good adventure, it's basically moving through different dimensions and there's Romulans from, a, from another dimension, uh, stroke timeline, it's kind of confusing, but anyway. And they're trying to move back and forth, what? Well, Just, there are Romulans. There, there are Romulans in it, yes. No, but are there also? There are no Vemans. Damn it! The Vemans don't feature much in the Star Trek novels, you would be surprised. You would think they've been in more often, but they're not. They, but they, they get the odd mention, but I think they're building up to the demons because um, Romulus hasn't exploded yet, which we know it has to do at some point. But they can't let Romulus explode yet until the rights are sorted out because the, the license they have is um, the, license, the CBS license. So they can't use elements from the f- new Parliament films, which is where Romulus explodes, you see. But they've been moving towards it because Spock's been off planet for a while now. So they're kind of kind of going there, right? So it's all good. So, um, so it's all the good usual adventures of moving back and forth and trying to stop the romance. But what we really want to focus on is the subplot of subplots, for which I have uh, made sure I have the correct pages here on, on my computer screen, so that great, so I can great audio read them, read them for you. Um, so, do you remember Livingston the fish? <laughs> yes. Right. So when I started the next generation, um, uh, Picard had a fish. Um, in, his, in his ready room called Livingston named after David Livingston one of the production uh, crew who also directed episodes not the famous Dr Livingston a different one anyway so there's a kind of subplot that happens because you, we meet an enterprise from another dimension where um, at the end of Best of Both Worlds Picard did in fact die with the Borg and Riker did take over the enterprise and the whole time he's been racked by guilt you see he's like racked all the time every time he cut to him he's like oh Picard oh I wish I could have saved him why is he dead why is he dead and he keeps worrying about the fish he keeps going on about the fish. And it's like, so we keep coming back and going, why did Picard have a fish? So all this time in this dimension, he's wanted to know, and now finally when Captain Picard comes back, apparently from the dead, but in fact it's our Captain Picard, he finally gets an answer to what's happening. Um, so 
So, so here's, here's an exciting passage. Uh, so Troy, uh, Troy's with Riker in another dimension, and uh, it's like, oh, that won't go over well with the, with the Admiral, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so then they're ready with Riker nodded toward the large globe-shaped aquarium occupying the room's back corner. Swimming in and around the plants and rocks contained within the tank was Livingstone, the lionfish that had been Picard's companion here in the ready room almost from the beginning of the late captain's tenure aboard the Enterprise. Picard had never explained his reasons for keeping the fish. After Rick had assumed command, it had taken him some time to realise he had never thought to broach the subject while Picard was alive. Perhaps it was because whenever he was in this room, on the other side of the desk, it was always for a larger purpose. It was a rare occurrence that Picard and Riker spent any sort of quiet time here, simply talking about things that had no being in their individual responsibilities. How did that happen? That's right, how did that Why did Picard never tell Riker about the fish? So obviously, if you're in that kind of dimension, that's what you're going to think about, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, whatever my answer is, it's clearly what the author's intention was. So so this this actually kind of goes back and forth a little bit. And then, eventually, uh, uh, Picard comes to to meet Riker in the alternative dimension and have this exciting, exciting scene, which I shall now read to you. Um, Unable to resist a remark, as he took in the sight of Riker and Troy standing together, Picard offered a wry grin. I always had a feeling about you too. Nodding towards Crusher, Troy replied, Same here. I must admit this does feel awkward, said Picard. I did debate whether to beam over. He grimaced. It felt inappropriate somehow. We're glad you did, replied Pulaski. You've been missed, Captain. She looked to Dr. Crusher. Both of you have. Riker said, Livingston is still in the ready room. If you want to take him with you, he shrugged. I didn't know what to do with him, and he wasn't bothering anyone. I think the fish I have might take issue with a roommate, Picard said. It had been some time since he had thought of the lionfish, which in this dimension has succumbed to age some years ago. A successor now lived in a much larger aquarium in this ready room aboard the Enterprise-E. So, finally, um, uh, we finally learn what happened to the real uh, Livingston in our dimension. We learn about the new fish, and finally, the, the tortured soul that is right in another dimension finally gets the truth about Livingston. Which is? Which is that uh, Picard just had a fish. Uh. Good enough. Star Trek novels. No, no, no. Also, what? there is another correction we need to make. Oh, really? Yes. We did um, this last episode. We've already no, corrected this. No. No? This is the, the correction. No, not about the, the blush thing. All right. It's about the conspiracy aliens. There, 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 there is a correction, yes, yes. Uh, Apparently, they did return in Deep Space Nine around about the time of the reboot about 10 years ago. I was off the novels at that time due to real life issues, so did actually miss a few which I'm now catching up on, and you'll get an exciting update in the future episode. However, it couldn't have been that exciting, because in the 10 years worth of novels, science never gets mentioned. And let me tell you something, they pass up no opportunity whatsoever to reference past events. Which is part of why they're so much fun. <laughs> you see fun, just... I right, did so enjoy them. I love a good old turnip. Look, you've got, you've got the Enterprise E, you've got the, the D from another dimension, the, the board you've got, the bit, you've got, you've got a wrong with ship, and they're all... Ha- and they have to cooperate to get back to their home dimension. So it's all an old Star Trek lesson about, you know, we could fight the Romulans or we could be friends with them. You know, it's great. Very enjoyable. I read that a few years ago and yet I still remember it. That's how, that's how you know it's good. Is it? Yes. So next time when Ralph reads Star Trek, as I said, we've gone into the back catalogue and we're going to start off an exciting trilogy. That's right. The untold story of how Khan rose to power in the eugenics wars and what did happen to him in Seti Alpha 5 before the events of Star Trek 2. 
We'll uh, find out soon. We know what happened. He got on a horrible planet. That alien killed his wife. Drove the rest of them mad. But how did he rise to power? How did he rise to power? He's kin. He, he doesn't wake up one morning and go... Because his is the superior intellect. I have now uh, answered it. We now no longer need to, to have this trilogy inflicted on us. I am three quarters of the way reading through the first book and I will keep you informed. <laughs> oh, you are too, too kind. Indeed. The uncanny Oxfam can't happen because neither of us have managed to get to Oxfam. True. Busy with real life and so on. Although there is a good pile of back issues I'm going to try and get a hold of between now and the next one. We shall revisit that. Indeed. It's a little bit of a rush one this this time due to real life issues so Dude. the usual stuff if rate review on iTunes whatever it, it's supposed to help it does uh, every other podcast every says other it podcast so let's hop on that bandwagon yeah. like sensational populist that we are any feedback we have a Facebook page uh, there's also a Twitter feed Stardub Pod and Stardub Podcast for Facebook we also respond to carrier pigeons that's true uh, bat signals yep. smoke signals mm-hmm. Morse code yep uh, Subether Radio and Space Time Telegraph Goodbye. and the Cybernet Space Cube. Goodbye. Farewell. <laughs>